Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. And welcome to a new episode of Zach on Film. This week, we are talking the 1973 American caper film, The Sting. Starring Paul Newman and Robert Redford. Is it a caper or is it more of a sardine? No, it's definitely a caper. Yeah, it's caper. What's fascinating about this, Zach, is this reunites Robert Redford, Paul Newman, and George Roy Hill Mm -hmm. um, in this movie, which the previous one that they were all together on was um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Mm -hmm. which, you know, in the uh, year that that came out, late 60s, early 70s. um, 69, maybe? Yeah, somewhere around there. Was just a phenomenal hit. And really solidified Newman as an older actor. I mean, he's by no means is he old in these movies, but he's mm. certainly not uh, Cool Hand Luke that people would remember him from. Um, he's not Hud anymore. No, or Chud either. Um, <laughs> or, or Bud the Chud. <laughs> or Spud. So this is this going. is a, as far as a movie that I remember seeing, this I think has to be my parents' all-time favorite movie. For whatever reason, I remember seeing this at the drive-in movie theater multiple times, either because it was a double building with something else or my parents wanted to see it. And certainly every time it came up on television, we would sit down and watch it. So I became familiar with this movie from the age of three onward. And even today, 30 years later, 40 years later, uh, it still holds up as a, I think, as a good story. So yeah. run us down the story here, young Zach, and fill us in on why this might be such a popular uh, uh, movie. All right. So The Sting is about, uh, it starts off as uh, John Hooker, who is played by Robert Redford, uh, ends up taking a large substantial amount of cash from this uh, cash runner in the mob and he gets chased down. He and his partner get on the bad side of these bad guys. Uh, his partner, Luther, is knocked off, which sends Hooker on a chase to find a man that Luther had sent him to learn from. And they then start planning out how they will get back at uh, Doyle Lonigan, uh for what he's <laughs> done to Luther. Yeah, so they have to start planning how they're going to work him over. You follow? Yeah, and a big yeah. So in fact, they're they're wanting to pull the big con. That's the one thing that um, that um, Johnny Hooker Comic-Con. has never learned. Mm-hmm. He's learned how to grift and learn how to do small time stuff. Right. But in order to learn the big con, where you really go on after someone big and you have the the chance of getting millions of dollars, he has to go learn from uh, Henry Gondorf up in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gondorf calls for aid. Yes. Um, and so that's where we get this. And from the moment that Gondorf and Hooker hook up, um, we are laid out with a very, very elaborate sting, not only on uh, Lonigan, played by, um, uh, I forgot his name off the top of my head, uh, Robert Shaw. Mm-hmm. Um, not only do we get a, a sting on him, but the writers pull a fantastic sting on the audience. Yes. Yes. In that we are led down this path, and as we get to that climactic moment in the um, 
horse betting uh, parlor, and everybody yes. gets the big shootout, and we think that uh, Gondorf and Hooker have turned on one another, and then it turns out, oh, that was part of the sting, and the FBI people that we thought were um, FBI agents turn out not to be FBI agents, and suddenly the audience is there going, oh my gosh, you pulled one over on us. And Rodrigo, you made a great observation when you and I were talking about this last night, about why this film works. And how it relates to um, to Ocean's Eleven. Oh yeah, um, I have totally forgotten it though because I was like really <laughs> medicated <laughs> last night. Uh, I think that it's you know it's a it's kind of the same idea except it's not as lavish. You know, it doesn't have all this like crazy, 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 crazy special effects and all this other stuff going on. It is like. Purely from the the written aspect, it's a very tight script from beginning to end. And the thematically speaking, of course, the best part about it is that the movie itself is a con. Right. You know, the plot itself is a con. Now, again, I said I remember seeing this when it when it came out. And I remember seeing this multiple times even before I got to see Star Wars. Um, Mm -hmm. Matthew, when did you first see The Sting? Uh, 2004, I think. Really? Yeah. Um, I had never, well, and here's my problem. I had never had any particular, uh, trust of a Robert Redford film. Oh, how come? I think I had a bad experience with that one where he was a mountain man. What was it like? Uh, I don't know. Something Johnson, Jeremiah Johnson, Jeremiah Johnson, but uh, Robert Redford is one of those actors that, after that experience, I'm just like, boy, I don't necessarily care for him. So I never went out of my way to see this, but I actually saw it by accident with uh, a friend, uh, actually several friends, but the friend who was like, no, 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 you got to watch this is Tommy Grice, who is wrong, sir, wrong. And we sat and we watched this and I loved the whole setup because I had been trying to find a way to explain to somebody uh, and this actually came up that day. I was trying to explain what the Kansas City Shuffle is. Right. And the Kansas City Shuffle is you're conning somebody who knows they're being conned. And the fact that they know they're being conned and the actions they take make it possible for you to con them in the way that you want while they're looking left. You know, and I, I was trying to explain that. And I'm like, that's what this is. That's exactly what this is. Well, so and, and that's in, in the sense of the Kansas City Shuffle is being played on the audience. It, on the audience, right. but it's also being played on uh, on uh, Quint from Jaws. But this is a great movie for me because I am one of those people who loves to play. Hey, it's that guy. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. movie is full of. Hey, it's that guy. Charles Durning. And Mr. Hand and the evil sergeant from Private Benjamin and uh, the guy Papio, who dated Papio O'Donnell, Papio O'Donnell's flower company and the guy who dated all the golden girls <laughs> and uh, the guy who was Maxwell Smart's second boss after Ed Platt died, who then went on to run MacGyver. Yeah. Dana I Elkar. mean, everybody in this film is somebody that I know from somewhere else. And so it's a fascinating film to watch. But the real testament for me in a movie of of this kind of age and this kind of notability is how long does it take me to get hooked past playing? Hey, it's that guy. And this one did it almost immediately, partly because of, you know, the intricacies of the plot, but partly because there's a really wonderful kind of vibe between Robert Redford and Paul Newman. Mm -hmm. 
And I think part of it is that that knowledge of Hollywood history to know that at the time, Robert Redford was basically that decade's Paul Newman. Right. It would be like, you know, having having who's the new young, hot kind of leading man like Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper. And then George Clooney as his slightly older confidant, you know, boss guy. Sure. You know, the, awesome. the old grizzled veteran. And you take that. I, I love that play. And I love the way these two actors who don't get me wrong. I, I love me some Paul Newman, but I still don't trust Robert Redford. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. They uh, never. I don't know. Quick fun fact. Matthew, the first time you saw it was in 2004. Uh-huh. The first time Robert Redford saw this movie was in 2004. Yeah. And sat really? through it all the way through. Yeah. Crazy. Really? That's awesome. And I don't so remember. I does it say why? No. Okay. He may probably just have the time. The, like, uh, it may be one of those things where he didn't have time to sit down and listen to Critical Hit, so he doesn't know what happened in episode 185. <laughs> well, the I guess one of the interesting aspects of this is it, it is a movie that was put together very quickly. Mm-hmm. It is a movie that had a pretty good budget for the time, but just in the way that the story is, yeah, you could probably act your way through this and not really care to sit down and watch it. I mean, go look at all the films that Robert Redford did in the seventies. And mm-hmm. I think you'll find that they're like stacked right on top of one another about one a year, if not more. Mm-hmm. And, um, it may be that he just got too busy to ever see it. How many movies okay. did he do in the seventies? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Was he in a man with called three in 72? <laughs> yeah. So he was, he was pretty busy. So I can imagine him not really ever sitting down to watch this. Well, and, you know, here's something else. Robert Redford, one of his early acting jobs was in an episode of The Twilight Zone where he played the embodiment of death. Mm-hmm. And he was so wooden that Pinocchio called him up afterwards and gave him a few tips on how to loosen up. <laughs> so that may actually be, now that I think of it, the core, the genesis of my distrust of Robert Redford as an actor. So uh, you're familiar, Zach, with um, Rob Cohen? He's the guy that's done the Fast, Fast and the, the Furious, Furious films. And I Is think, he one of the Cohen do... brothers? No. no. <laughs> I also believe that he worked on Triple um, X, the movie Triple X. I believe so, too. Um, he was the script reader. He's the one that actually discovered this movie and recommended it as going to be a blockbuster huge hit. Uh, mm-hmm. The story goes he found it in a dumpster and just said, cool. oh, we've got to make this movie. Let's get on it and wrote up a letter, uh, you know, as a um, – as a uh, pitch man pitch man well not a pitch man um he was a he was a reader basically mm-hmm. people that read the scripts and write up summaries as to whether this movie would be good or not and then that floats up the line uh the studio hit he was a reader and found this and said oh this has got to be a a great movie this will be one of the great american movies now robert shaw's character um uh, robert shaw almost didn't play in this movie uh they begged him and begged him and begged him and finally paul newman had to fly to london to personally carry a copy of the script to him and ask him to be in the movie. One of the stipulations was that uh, Shaw got third billing in the movie, which, you know, I Mm. guess he should, but I don't know what, I don't know what Shaw had done before this. I mean, Jaws would certainly come after, but he made this huge demand that his name had to go up before the title of the movie. And a lot of people will say, well, because of his arrogance, uh, Hollywood hated him. And that's why he didn't Mm -hmm. win a, uh, an Oscar. This movie won seven Academy Awards and Robert Shaw did not get one of them. A man for all seasons. He might have. I think he was doing. And I think that was a huge deal. He was doing. I think. Um, 
I think he had just been more uh, stage was, acting. Uh, let's see. From Russia with Love, 63. Man for All Seasons, 66. Yeah. This thing, 73. So he had I done. Think he, was, he was in From Russia with Love, and everybody loved James Bond, I guess. I think he was like a stagey guy, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. that's what I think, too. Um, but the limp that uh, Lonica has, um, yeah. Shaw actually uh, ripped all his leg- ligaments in his leg, <laughs> like just a couple of days before they had to start shooting. And so under those... Uh, loose flowing clothes he had a big leg brace on and he was just literally limping throughout the whole movie that's that, that, limp now lonigan uh um is a, is a bad character i mean there's nobody good in this movie right i mean everybody Definitely is no. varying yeah, no. <laughs> levels of bad it's basically whose moral code is loosest right yeah. of all the people of the loose moral code and the fact that lonigan who's making you know probably millions of dollars a day through bookings and gamblings will chase down to the end some grifter who ripped him off for 11,000 shows how bad he is, but then also shows how out of touch he is with the rest of his mob because he doesn't even know that the person he's with, Hooker, right. is yeah, the, the person that. that ripped him off, and he's <laughs> letting him into his confidence. And that's kind of what, I, again, makes this story work, is that everybody is relying on the fact that Lonigan's, um ego yeah and ability to go in and snatch the play from someone else and take over their racket is outweighs everything else and that's eventually how they hook him and how they sting him uh in in the con Mm -hmm. and i think it it just it it just works so well it makes sense for that character to be that vindictive about money from a person that he couldn't even pick out of a lineup I think it, you know, it kind of informs the character of Lonigan uh, as being just an unmitigated bastard. Well, you know, I mean, there's a, it's it's kind of reasonable from a crime crime boss standpoint where somebody's like, why do we care? It's just a grifter, and he's like, if we let a grifter go through, then everybody's going to come after us. Uh, true. That's yeah. a good call. Yeah, yeah. Um. So you like the story? I did. I did. What did you learn about characterization that you can use in the future? Oh, characterization. Well, I think. Oh, this sounds like school. I graduated. Uh, yeah, I know. Like, uh, I can't totally be out of questions. Um, I love the way at the end with um, with the apparent hooker siding with the FBI to take over Gondorf, right? And how he plays that in a manner that completely conveys he is backstabbing him even to a point of the people that know this isn't a thing he still seems right. to be acting like i'm doing something bad right. especially like uh in the alleyway when he's he's apparently going to meet his lady of the night again in the alleyway mm-hmm. and he shoots her in the head mm-hmm. and then they're in the car right he's like oh gondorf had me following you and he he looks as like he has this face of remorse of, oh, he's still looking out for me, but I'm seriously about ready to stab him. Right, right, back. right. And that, yeah, I mean, that's, I guess the, the point is keep your audience guessing. Yeah. Because if you go and look at the interactions with the FBI, they're always with someone else present, someone that's mm-hmm. going to fall into the sting. It's not like the FBI and Hooker are alone. You've got a cop there as well yeah. witnessing everything so that it sets it up. And yeah. so that when you do get to the reveal, it's just like, <gasps> Oh my god! Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. And I think that's why my dad loves watching it so much. It's because he wants to go in and find all the little nuanced bits of 
how does this bit lead to this bit and who knows what and when do they know it kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And I think that's what makes this story so engaging and so engrossing even 40 years later is it's still able to get you to do that. Yeah. And I think it's even more amazing in the fact that if you've watched like Ocean's Eleven, Mm -hmm. um, I've only watched the recent one anyways, but if you have that in your mindset watching this, like, oh, there's going to be a twist at the end on how they really pulled this all up, right. like some weird twist. And so I'm watching this final scene as the FBI is coming into their uh, fake little uh, horse track betting thing. And I'm saying, oh, okay, so here comes here comes the twist. Mm-hmm. And they they sell him, they sell Gondorf out, and he pulls the gun and he shoots Redford. And right. then they shoot my gun. I'm like, what the crap? Right. And then, which, and then, and which before, yeah. before you get to this yeah. big reveal in the 1970s, you're having movies like taxi driver and the deer hunter and apocalypse now and all these movies coming out to where a lot of them have very downer endings. Right. Mm-hmm. So to have your two leads die, I mean, even a butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid, um, you know, they jump out and they're fighting the Mexican army and they die at the end of that movie. So, to see them Maybe. kill each other, well, yeah, um, freeze frame. Um, to have the them, kill you. to have them do that in this movie probably wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility, hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so then, so I'm in shock. I'm like, oh crap! That's not what I thought was going to happen. And then, of course, they come back in and they're kind of just on the FBI. And they kind of go down to uh, Hooker. And I'm like, oh crap! The F- that's not the FBI at all. Like, you, right. the, you, there's that moment of clicking, having watched recent movies and knowing uh, what's transpired since the Sting, and then that moment clicks. I'm like, oh crap! Like this still works thirty, forty years, yeah, later, 40 years later. Forty years later, mm-hmm. that this story still hits the way it should the first time you watched it. Rodrigo or Matthew, anything else you want to add on the story before we take a, a our mid mid show break here? Um, I, I think that it's interesting to look at this story and say, oh, well, that could never happen. And then realize that not only could it kind of happen, they, they kind of got sued because it, it kind of may have borrowed from someone who told the story of how this actually did happen yeah, 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 yeah. in the 1930s. Yeah. So, you know, you, you go through that whole ending and you're like, oh, that's pretty awesome, but there's no way it would ever really work. Turns out it did. Well, I mean, just look at the way that people fall under the um, the lure or the allure of confidence men today with your uh, Ethiopian email scams. I've gotten like three of those Wait. in the last month. Oh, I get them Wait, like what? once a day. I, I sent them my credit card. Is there going to be a problem with the deposit in my oh, account? Oh, no, Matthew. In fact, uh, anytime they ask you for mo- more money, you should go ahead and send them more. Oh, Because awesome. that, ju- that just means that $15.6 million dollars. That no. the prince has had in reserve in the offshore yeah. accounts is going to be yours. I should point out that when I say my credit card, I kind of mean your credit card. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into the technicals, uh, 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 Zach, why don't we give a shout out to some of the people who made this fine show happen? Uh, of course. I'd like to thank Ben Acton, Mark Burbach, Joshua Keller, Bart Kohler, Zachariah McAllister, Melanie Nazelrod, Ross Mandan. I can't read. Guillermo May. Oh. Guillaume, 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 Trace Taylor, and Joshua Matthew. Uh, I'll give and, you uh, l- listeners, if you want to oh, have your name rough. butchered by young Zach, 
All you I need apologize. to do is send uh, ten dollars, become a regular <laughs> subscriber, and we'll give you a shout out. And and it's those people that make this show possible, and we want to thank them for their support. You can find out more about that over at Majorspoilers.com. So, Zach, the uh, the technical side. Yes. What are some things that you observed? Um, let's start with some big things. Okay. Um, first, uh, the title cards mm-hmm. were I thought wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I like the uh, aged feel of them. Of uh, what it was kind of like the Saturday evening. Yeah, like post, a Norman Rockwell, art, right? Mm-hmm. And I think more into it, I even liked the more that it wasn't just a title card and that it faded away, kind of like you'll see other uh, directors and movies use, mm-hmm. but the, actually the, it flipped over yeah. and like that we were actually getting into this new section of the story. And then even more, I kind of liked it paired with the different transitions we used mm-hmm. uh, that they usually go from different scenes to different scenes. Yeah, I'm not a big fan it, of wipes, but, you know, they are kind of popular. Right. I, th- I thought they were used relatively well in this, in the fact that it kind of felt like we were going through this book, essentially. Right. That a manual kind of, of how to do a comic. Yeah, like we were, they're just going through and even through the story without using the big uh, title cards. It was like, okay, now this happened. And I, I, wipes aren't always very good, but especially the ones they were used were like the standard, just like wipe. They're like, right, right. rotate the entire screen, right, or, like right. flip the screen. It was yeah. weird, but uh, I thought they, I thought it worked well. Um, so wipes are generally used to denote uh, time passage. Yeah. And so we can use our page turns for that same way, right? Mm-hmm. One of the other things that's used quite a bit. And it's really something that I don't care for. And one of the things you should try to avoid if you can is the use of the zoom lens. And in the 1970s films, um, you're going to see the zoom lens used a lot. Um, new toy. Yeah, it is really kind of a new toy. I mean, the zoom lens have been around since the 50s. Um, but um, really, you start to see it appear in movies like The Sting and Dirty Harry and blah, blah, blah. And it's just really there. And... You know, the point of the zoom lens is to make it a little bit more convenient for you so that you're not carrying around a whole truckload of lenses for your shoot, mm-hmm. uh, especially for news photographers so they can get in there and get the shots that they need. Well, I think people have become rather lazy with the zoom and they try to use it for an effect that isn't a real effect. A cut is something that we in our minds, cutting from a wide shot to a close up, we fill in that space. But our eyes, as far as I know, most of us are not Reed Richards where we can't actually change <laughs> the curvature of our eye to zoom in and zoom out of a shot. I, I so can, but the, the zoom lens is really an unrealistic move uh, compared to the, to the human eye, mm-hmm. but it's used a lot in this movie. It is used. Just lift your glasses. Uh, multiple. Yeah, yeah. Multiple times. The uh, zooms are used to um, varying degrees of effect. I think, the one time I thought it was used relatively well was uh, Hooker running away from the cop that's chasing him the entire right, right. movie as he's running through the kind of, uh, oh, like slum area of mm-hmm. Chicago or whatever. And well, and it may not be just necessarily a slum area of Chicago. It's just a depression but, area of Chicago. Yeah. And uh, going from cop man and then whipping Zoom out to Hooker, like running through the streets. Right. Um, other times, not used so well uh, in their... Their little setup uh, uh, con area of the horse betting place, 
just going from one character and zooming through the the bar to uh uh whoa oh uh, uh Godford uh standing in his back room oh, oh Gondorf Gondorf yeah, yeah sorry uh standing in his back little room I mean um, nothing that a simple dolly move yeah dolly would have been and we do see them, we do see some a lot of traditional camera moves used we see a lot of dollies mm-hmm. uh we see some some very good stuff uh especially when we're up in the brothel area of the um wheelhouse the mm-hmm. the um where they're going and moving around everyone at the table as she's carrying the drinks and they're having the conversation of who's passing bad money i mean that's really well done in fact the opening shot where we just track along with this depressed area uh, era people until you pick up these fancy shoes walking along and then up the stairs. Up the stairs. Um, you know, those are, those are really well done, but the zoom, uh, you know, just because you can use it doesn't mean you should use yeah. it, but it is used quite a bit. And even today you see it used quite a bit. Yeah. Rodrigo, do you have any thoughts on, on the use of a zoom? Definitely. I think it, I think it can be very jarring. Um, I, you know, and, and sometimes, unfortunately, I think like just straight up comical, you know, when he finds that Luther has been killed or whatever, they do like this quick zoom yeah, into yeah. his face. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And it seems so unnatural. It's almost like they sped up the film or something because they it's did. not like, do, it's not like a speed whip up the film on, on multiple occasions. Yeah. It's not like it's a whip zoom because it's just like, and you can, and it's yeah. just really crazy. Um, yeah, had, no, it's, it's interesting because they do spit up the film, which weirdly makes it look like a digital zoom. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I remember looking at that, I was like, have, was this like remastered or something? Cause like that really looks like a digital zoom to me, but it's weirdly, it's the effect of the zoom that's been sped up. You, you had said that there's a drinking game that you can make out of, uh, yes. out of this movie. Um, so, uh, here's the, the, the sting drinking game. Anytime somebody like puts a finger on their nose, you take a drink. Um, anytime, um, Robert Redford gets punched, you take a drink, but also anytime Robert Redford runs down a street, um, you drink until he's done running and you will be <laughs> smashed because there are Smash. probably four separate scenes in which like you see him run down the street, you know, with his hard soled shoes and he gets to like basically within 10 feet of the camera, he turns around and then the camera pans along with him. As you go down this other street and he just makes his way down the other street. Yeah. Weirdly, though, it works. There's I don't know what it is about that, but just watching him run, 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 stop, run, 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 run is actually weirdly entertaining. There's at least four major chase sequences that way. And there's no there's no car chases in this in this scene. No. But instead, you have the foot chase. Which, as Rodrigo said, does work. I I I really like the uh, from the phone booth to the uh, to the alleyway where they're running along the the L, uh, mm-hmm. being chased by the oh, cop. Yeah. Uh, that that is a really good scene that I like uh, in that. As far as a chase scene goes, mm-hmm. um, not filmed in Chicago. This was yeah. filmed back on lots. the back lot and down by the Santa Monica Pier, which is why, for some reason, every time, even as a young kid watching. The stuff where he goes up to the uh, to the carnival ride place when he first meets her, I'm like, this doesn't feel like it's up against the lake. This feels like it's yeah. more up against an ocean as opposed yeah. to you know one of the Great Lakes. <laughs> and sure enough, that's why because it's filmed out on a pier. Too sunny for Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
The other thing that's kind of interesting, and again, I only noticed it, I think because I've been looking at it more, is um, the treatment of a film and how you color grade it. And I'm not sure they did a whole lot of color grading in the 70s, but the film stock you use has a particular look to it. And one of the things that's very apparent early on when um, Hooker and his uh, best friend, not Luther, the other the other guy, the one that gets his nose busted by uh, the cop. Yeah, they're walking down an alleyway at one point. It's sunny and daytime. And all of a sudden you notice and this is very early in the film. All of a sudden you notice that all the shadows have a green tint to them. And that is a very popular, both a green shadow and a blue shadow tint are very popular looks that people try to achieve today. A lot of that just comes from the film stock that they were using at the time. And I think it kind of gives lends more to a depressed era of which this film is set. Yeah, and so they, you, they do a really good job. And honestly, I say this as a person who knows 1936 from movies. So, you know, make that what you will. They do a really good job of making this feel like a movie from the 30s and not a movie from the 70s that's set in the 30s, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Right. And the strongest, I believe, the strongest um, reason for that is the music. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, you know, I think a, yeah, a big Scott reason. Joplin stuff is awesome. Yep, a, big, a big reason why this thing holds up today is because when, you know, when Hooker is running down the street, you don't hear. Yeah, you Yeah. My uh, my father made us learn to play the entertainer on the piano really? when we were young. Uh, my sister wow. had more formal piano lessons than I did, so she could play, I would say, at least six or more of Scott Joplin's rags. And uh, I could get through the entertainer, and then when I picked up the trumpet, I played that on the trumpet a lot. So it was it, the Scott Joplin music is Smile, really, really good. Damn it. Yeah. Scott Joplin music is really good. That is just terrifying. No, no, no. It's just one of those things that he, this is really one of his favorite movies. And so growing up, this is what we encountered. And when you're learning to you play the piano, you might as well, you might as well learn to play <laughs> some Scott Joplin because it's really upbeat, kind of fun music. Yeah. Well, and it happens. And Maple you know, Leaf Rag and all that stuff. Are into, that seems like, you, you know, you don't realize that other people aren't into it. Um, which is going to be great uh, when uh, Matthew's daughter starts talking to people about Power Rangers outside of the house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, starts? Oh, there you go. So, uh, Zach, what are some things that you can take away from this overall and apply to your future video in um, movie making? I think looking at this movie and seeing what it did right from a story aspect is great on playing with the uh, audience uh, from a technical aspect, I think uh, not taking an easy way out and doing weird uh, zooms and taking the time to set up dolly tracks and get a, a, a nice looking shot there. Um, music is big, especially doing a, a period piece. If you are wanting to set it firmly in that era like this does, unlike uh, the recent... Um, Great Gatsby when you throw in some Jay-Z for a different effect and not trying to make it completely in the 20s. Yeah. Um, Lerman. Well, but that's Lerman. Yeah, that, I mean, though. that's Lerman, but that's... I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a whole different, different discussion for another Anyways, time. Uh, I liked the use of 
the shoe noises for Redford. I'm not sure that those were added in. I think those were actual sounds from. Well, uh, anyways, I think that was because he had a very distinct. Uh, yeah. Sound and so did uh, the cop. Mm-hmm. And so seeing how those were played out, I thought accidental or not, I thought that was cool. Uh, editing. I think the ending editing was different than last week when we watched the Manchurian Candidate as it built it up, uh, built up to the climactic moment of yeah sorry of pulling the trigger and killing not who you thought it was. It was mm-hmm. a lot of uh, fast pace cuts mm-hmm. and towards well, right before we got into the big con in this movie, there were longer cuts that were completely or almost completely silent yeah. that really built up the tension. Uh-huh. Looking at the uh-huh. how they were preparing. From different character point of views. Right. I thought that was an excellent way to build up the tension without quick cutting everything. Okay. And uh, did your girlfriend watch this with you? Uh, sadly, no, she did not. Uh, I tried. She moved to Canada. Uh, yes. Uh, and then she like died, so you can't call her. You can't meet her anymore. Uh, she did not want to watch this at the time I watched it because it was late after we did some other recording. In fact, it was late enough that I fell asleep watching it, so I had to watch a different time. Uh, but no, she did not watch it All this right. week. Okay. Uh, Matthew, how did Young Zach do this week? Well, I'm going to start with an embarrassing story about me so he doesn't have to tell that. <laughs> I had not seen this movie until 2004. However, it should be noted that in the 1980s, I did see The Sting 2, Ugh. which is an infinitely inferior movie, which Ugh. seems to be like the Earth 2 version but, of this but it, one. But it has Jackie Gleason in it. Yes, Jackie Gleason, well after he's any good. <laughs> this is, I think, the same year as Smokey, Smokey is the, the Bandit. Bandit. Yeah, yeah. But in any case, having seen this after the second one and realizing that the second one was a deconstruction of the good one, I feel like Zach's actual understanding of this film is better than mine was. So I'm going to give him a B plus. All right. Very, very, very solid work by the young Zach. Um, he did not. Uh, he would have had an A if he'd have referred to uh, Lonigan as Quint at any point. Or or, or Lonahan or Lonerlin or Lonerlin. La- 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 had had he also referred to, to Hooker as oh, Jeremiah yes. Johnson or had <laughs> he referred to Gondorf as Cool Hand Luke, he would have gotten an A. I, oh, I you mean, I, I know uh, him. He was Cool Hand Luke. In that one movie, uh, Cool Hand no. Luke. <laughs> Don't embarrass yourself. It's too late. Can I have now. my A now? Rodrigo. <laughs> like, yeah, I know that guy. He plays, he's like James Fonda in a movie. James, <laughs> yeah, I remember him. And the guy with the thing. I think Zach did well. Um, he approached it critically, and um, I really enjoyed this movie. It seems like he managed to. Um, Enjoy the movie, but also analyze it, which is important. It's it's an important step. So I'll give him a pass. All right. I will also give you a pass this week, Zach, mainly because I know you were super busy last week <laughs> uh, with everything that was going on so you could graduate. So uh, though I think there are some more critical eye things that you could probably catch in the future, I think that you did pass this time. Thank you. And nobody mentioned that this film actually spiked a huge craze in the 70s. Uh, a craze oh, for uh, Orange Julius. Music. No, ragtime music really did. I mean, this. Uh, well, that, that's rounds. one. But also, when when they were giving out the the Oscar, uh, a guy ran naked across the stage, oh, yeah, yeah. which actually triggered a huge uh, streaking phenomenon in the early 1970s. Which I 
Yeah, as with anything awful, a tribute to Robert Redford and why I don't uh-huh. trust that, <laughs> that little bastard. Because I had to look at Ray Stevens' ass because of him. Um, so there also another thing that was kind of seemed to happen in the seventies was that there were a lot of movies made about the thirties <laughs> for whatever reason. Maybe that's just my perception of, of movies that I remember about that time. So next week we're going to do the same thing. We're going to take a 1970s movie that was made about the 1930s and it's going to tie into some things that we've already talked about. The noir detective, uh, we're going to, uh, tie into a very deep story that you have to follow along very closely with is it we are going to be watching it? chinatown next oh, time yeah! on uh, zach on film and then followed the week after that because th- we've been doing some pretty heavy topics uh we'll be doing singing in the rain two weeks from now you on say zach that because you're just a big dumb okey and that's <laughs> gonna wrap it all up here on zach on film this week make sure to head over to majorspoilers.com to give your thoughts on the sting in the comment section of the podcast uh, while you're at Majorspoilers.com, head over to the front page and click that Amazon button. That'll take you to Amazon.com where you can find anything from toilet paper to uh, the something, the sting, to something to work on your car or something like that. So maybe a giant 90-inch screen to watch the sting on? You could. You could probably buy a 90-inch sting. Not a 90-inch sting, a 90-inch <laughs> screen to watch the sting. Words are fun. But anyways, uh, make your purchases there. A little bit will come back to us, but not costing you extra. It'll just help us keep all of this great content for you going every, every week. And that's it. Next week, we talk Chinatown and more movies on Zach on Film. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money.